I always do it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Agile World again. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. So we've actually had a question come to us about Agile myths and there's a lot of Agile myths. So first of all, how's it going, Carl? It's going good. Uh, exciting days indeed. Um, although we're into the third, coming to the end of the third week of the festival, it still looks like it's, there's there's a massive festival next week to go to. Um, so. <laughs> we, what was it? We topped to 800 events. Yeah, we're just coming up to 800. Um, unfortunately, not everything that, that was submitted went in. So we're actually probably nearer 1,000 submissions. But uh, I think people uh, just saw it as a, as a, a platform without really necessarily realising it was purely agile. Yeah. So. Yeah, there were some that we did have to shoot back. Hopefully, try again next year, but with the appropriate content. Yeah. So, Agile myths are little bugbears that we always experience when we go into businesses and companies and people automatically assume. Should we start on the, the big one that everyone goes on about? The silver bullet. Oh, oh. my goodness. The <laughs> silver bullet. It's that, that horrific business concept that there is something that can deflect from the fact that no one knows what they're doing. Um, and that, in fact, it's the next great fad to misdirect all the investors away from the fact that we've got no business process um, and that we somehow manage to make money regardless. Uh, and Agile isn't that. Agile is uh, transformational and uh, mindset changing and once you start it it's Pandora's box once you've opened it you can't really put it back in the box what, what do you yeah. think and it's I think one thing I hear a lot with the silver bullet is the myth around that agile is going to speed things up now I'll give my side of it so yes agile does speed things up slightly and you would get a lot of people out there that say, yeah, it's quicker if you use an agile method or framework. It's a lot quicker. But the reason why it feels quicker is because you're delivering incrementally. You're delivering in smaller batches. You're seeing the product, the item, yeah. whatever you're building while it's actually being built. Instead of when you use Waterfall, someone hands over money and they don't see something for about a year and a half, two years. So it can feel like it's faster. But it's not. There's actually only a small percentage. There are some that you can see an increasing difference. And I, I, I know some areas that have actually implemented Agile, and you, you saw a massive difference in how long it takes it. But it's not necessarily just because you're implementing Agile, things are going to actually speed up like the speed of light. I think that's really interesting, the, the notion of time around delivery. Yeah. That, you know, because people only see a final product in, in other ways of working, that when they get to Agile, they start to see things. You know, things that can be added into the current product before the new product is launched. So they start seeing features and benefits, but they don't necessarily see the entire delivery. And, and it, you're right, it, it, it is a, a total myth that it speeds things up. What it does, however, is, is really make things efficient. Yeah. Uh, it makes things very focused. And it also brings in this concept of cost of delay. So if we're not yeah. going to make this change, when will we make it? And if we delay it, what would it cost us? Uh, so this is going back to the whole economic ordering of work. And I know this is kind 
kind of really complex peak, the complex end of agile, but it's really, really important. And I'd almost, if, if you're wanting to get into agile, I'd say understand this first before understanding Scrum. Because if you can yeah. understand um, cost of delay, economic ordering and prioritization, then you can actually help um, the product owner do their job because most product owners don't know any of this stuff. Um, and they just expect that uh, whatever they say is the right thing because the business says it's the most important thing. And the economic ordering uh, essentially is about uh, doing the right piece at the right time so it starts giving value and outcomes as quickly as possible. You can hold off on something um, and not do it straight away, but over a, cost, over a period of 11 months, you lose six or seven million. Uh, or you can do it straight away and deliver it in three months. Uh, there's a lot of effort involved, lots of people, uh, but immediately it starts making you money. So I wandered off a bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's all valuable stuff. I was going to bring something else up, but it actually will link with another myth. So another myth. You can't plan ahead of time using Agile. So this is another view. I mean, Scrum is, is built for you to use for projects as an example, or is one of them that you can use for projects. So there is actual planning there. What's your thoughts on the fact apparently you can't plan when you're using Agile? The, the, the assumption... So it's, it's like saying that the managing director doesn't have any ideas. Um, Ooh, no, I'm pretty, <laughs> it's, you it's, you know, I go straight, go straight to the point where it's coming from. You know, the executive board have clear ideas. They have... Uh, requirements from regulatory authorities, they have uh, strategic plans they want to achieve, um, they have business goals, they have technology legacy issues and maintenance. These are all kinds of work that you know have to happen. So you do have to plan them. Um, do you plan them to the nth degree? Well, no, not until you get down to the, to the nitty gritty. And this is a point as well. Have you got the right people in your planning? You know, if you are planning a new product, don't you think it's a good idea to bring the CTO in? Because they know what you can already deliver. Uh, so the one thing that people struggle is when it comes to, and this is going to link to story pointing as an example, a lot of people that I meet struggle with the sizing against the plan and how to run those calculations. I'm not going to lie. And there's actually been some amazing events in Agile 20 Repair and there's still some really good events around metrics. I've brought this up a few times and how to run those calculations. But they do struggle that if they've come from the land of Gantt charts, <laughs> I, everyone who knows me, I'm not a fan yeah. of Gantt charts, um, don't understand how you can actually plan you can put you, there are plans out there where you can plan two three four years if if you if you have agile implemented correctly and and everybody coached and trained and you understand what metrics you're going to use and how you're going to you can actually plan quite easily yeah, so, so you, you you can plan the outer edges but you can't plan the detail and this is the difference in ways of working in in other ways of working, you expect to be able to say, we will have this by then. Uh, in Agile, what you say is, oh, we want to achieve this outcome by then. How we get there, we don't really care about. That's, that's down to the team's level. So you're actually absenting yourself from the detail uh, and trusting the people you've hired to do the work, to do the work. 
And I think that's that's kind of a, a big shock for people that they're not actually determining exactly how the work is done anymore. It's determined by the people with the skills to deliver it. And that is one of the reasons, those words you just used, that was one of the reasons that made me fall in love with Agile, was the fact is, it's actually trusting the ability of the people that you've hired. If, you, if you're one of the execs and you've got this idea or you're a customer and you've got this idea, you are actually entrusting the people that are actually doing the jobs to physically build it at the best capabilities. And they do. And I think this is what we need, need in this day and age. We need to have that flexibility. We need to have that trust. We're all adults. We're not teenagers. And even if we were teenagers, we still need to have that trust that what we do for a living and what we've been doing for a living Trust in us to actually do it. Trust us to build it. Trust us so to build it. So it's, it's really interesting. It goes back to like the 1920s to the sort of, or the, even the 1880s and industrialization that uh, industry and business required lots of people who were not skilled. They were not skilled. They were not professional people. They were not used to quality control. A lot of them came from farming and, um, you know, the, the, measurement of farming is slightly different to engineering it's not as precise uh, and so uh, managers were required to ensure that quality was maintained now as a, as a culture we've moved way beyond that that we now have so many levels of professional experience and skills and expectations of it ourselves that we place that upon ourselves most people don't need to be managed what they need to be is provided the right tools and facilitation to get the job done. And the right direction as well. That's yeah. another is, is this is why we have visions, this is why we have scopes. These are all directions for people. It's and it kind of keeps everybody in the right direction. There's nothing worse than you come up with an idea and you've got one person going right, one person going left, or one department going right, one going left, one going north, one going east is actually giving that actual clear direction, but also having the ability to actually flex and change that direction when it's required as well. And that's another reason you can actually flex things. You can change it. You can re react when it's required, but this comes up to another one, right? Because it does frustrate me where, yes, you can flex your ways of working. Yes, you can flex the actual project and react when required, but I see so many companies that have their teams where they're constantly changing direction like that mm. because they think they can. So, so one of the things about pivoting or changing direction in, in normal parlance is um, it's often something that requires everyone to stop working. Mm. And this is, this is what people say, can't you, just, can't you just pivot? And going, well, yeah, sure, let's take a week out. And you're going, what do you mean? I'm going to say I'm going to stop all 180 developers on this project and we're all going to stop and we're going to think about what we do next. And they go, oh, but don't they need to be doing this? No, you, you just said we need to pivot. When we pivot, we all pivot together. That means that there's a ripple effect in this pivot that affects everyone across the, you know, it will affect all the developers. It will affect uh, all of the designers. It will affect all of marketing. It will affect all of legal. It will affect uh, our vendor partners. It will affect our outlets and our service providers. I'm fine with doing it, but do you understand the implication of what you're asking? At which point they usually go, oh, maybe we don't need to pivot. I said, well, maybe we do. 
deters it because you get some people that some management leadership or companies, I'm not going to stereotypeize here, even though I just mentioned everything, but they, they do, they want to pivot constantly. They want to change constantly. And, and actually giving that almost little threat to kind of show them how serious it is every time you constantly want to change direction. And then there's a difference. Changing direction is one thing. Making a change because, as an example, a piece of software is going to be going out to date and we originally planned to use it and or there's a better tool out there. Or actually, we've just realized our legacy equipment won't work with this new stuff, so we need to change that can happen frequently when required, but that's normally down to the team to actually bring that up and so, make that decision and bring that to management. So there's a beautiful word for management um, to do with them bringing in constant change. And the answer is no. no. This is a child. No. <laughs> no, the answer is no. Um, I've worked on two or three really major, I mean, million pound projects, multi-million pound projects. And the answer is no. And they're going, but we just employed you to do this. I said, no, you employed me to deliver this product or service. If you constantly change what you want, you don't get anything. Oh, so you're not going to do this. No, what we will do is deliver this iteration or this sprint or this group of sprints. And then we will, uh, while we're doing that, you and I will go away with whoever we need to get involved to work out the implications of what you want to change. But I won't actually stop development uh, doing what they've agreed to do because it's an agreement, not an instruction. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, without context, uh, because, you know, what developers actually do for a living is they're kinds of detectives. They're solving problems. They're interrogating problems. They're looking at what they know, what they don't know, what they can find out from other places. And, and actually they're working out, do they create new code? Do they combine libraries? You know that this is this is the really fascinating and complex world of development, and the last thing they need is someone changing the entire context. Can you imagine if while you were driving, someone regularly punched you in the face? That's pretty much the experience I've of developers sense. getting new new requirements all the time. <laughs> that is like the weirdest example I've ever heard. I know, but, but think yeah. about it. If you, is it a slight distraction? <laughs> does it does it mean that you you may have accidents does it mean that you you will get frustrated and angry yes it does and i think that's the you know that came just out of my head i have no idea where that one came from but it's it's <laughs> i'm worried about you now <laughs> it's but it is i've worked in environments or been brought into environments and the 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 premise i was brought in was a development's not delivered anything and i'm going well what have you done Oh, nothing. Okay, okay. Let me find out. A week later, I go back. I found out what the problem is. It's you. And they're going, what do you mean? Um, you know, we didn't, we have no problems. We brought you into fixed development. And going, well, I don't even heard this terminology, but crap in, crap out. If you put, if you put garbage into a development team, they'll respond to it the best they can. But if you who set the outer limits of what needs to be built don't know what you're doing, and constantly change it, you're actually making uh, delivery impossible. So no, and uh, engaging with uh, leadership to ensure that they know what they're doing and the impact of what they're doing are, are the two ways to deal with that particular myth. So I got another one. So I'm actually going <laughs> through, I'm purposely going through the, when you Google it, 
the myths that come up because that's what okay. most people actually see. There's no documentation in Agile. <laughs> it's just so... I've actually had um, development teams get excited about me coming in or just an Agile coach coming in because they think that's it. We don't have to write any more documentation because we everyone hates doing it. But and they're like, oh, does that so, Agile? So there's different kinds, different kinds of documentation. So one thing is, is I, I like to see developers notes in code if it's an internal system. If it's going to go out, I don't want to see any notes in there. But because you, you expect to hand off the code to other people over a period of time or that person leaves, you need to know the rationale for doing something a certain way. Um, and lots yeah. of people don't do dev don't understand that exists. So that's one thing. So that, that's one form of documentation. Full documentation for software is relevant to its purpose, not to the framework in which you deliver it. So... I would expect fairly full documentation to critical task software like running a nuclear power station. Uh, I would I would expect to have that. Yeah, definitely. So the point I would bring up is the difference being between waterfall and agile when it comes to documentation is you're building a documentation incrementally the same as you're building the product. Yeah. And I always make sure with my teams and the people I work with um that they make time that to try and do it on a regular occasion even if you can get themselves organized at the end of the sprint or while they're going they are they are noting everything down and writing these things up and writing letters in it doing it while you're doing it gradually not writing all at the beginning and then hoping the same thing comes out the other end yeah so i think that that's that's one of the reasons i like test-driven development because you you get to refine the model of the documentation as you go uh, you bring in testing early which starts to so you get the the features and concepts of the products to start with and also use that to break out into um, your epics and stories but then you, you're able to feed back into those features all of the stories that uh, are now within the product as part of testing so you actually help the documentation get built through the testing um, but if you do test-driven development, there's an extra layer there where the developers have to think, how will this be tested? So testing is no longer something that you throw the code over the fence to, but it's actually part of your job. You still have testers because you need people. Uh, I, I, have to, I have this rule is that no one's allowed to mark their own homework. Yeah. So although I do test-driven development with teams, I don't actually allow their tests to be the final tests um, because sometimes people judge themselves uh, better than they need to be judged uh, and sometimes they judge themselves too harsh and uh, really you need someone who's agnostic to the whole development process to just you know does it work does it meet these criteria and I know there's a lot of uh, automated testing great and that's all part of CICD but also, uh, I always bring in humans as well to test things. So you bring in the product owners to test it. Uh, you also bring in accessibility testers and uh, target audience users, because actually it may make complete sense within the organization, but when it gets to the market, everyone's going, what the hell is this? <laughs> so, so yeah. I actually think it's a thing of beauty. I actually quite enjoy getting uh, testers, QAs, working with developers, 
And especially if they've never done it before, it's quite an interesting thing to kind of, how do I describe it? It's like a David Attenborough wildlife project when they've never worked together before. This is how I'm going to describe it now. It's like they've never worked together before. And there's always, you know, the, the developers are like, oh, testers are going to pull my work apart. My work is beautiful. And QAs are like, nah, I'm going to pull everything. I'm given I'm a David Attenborough example. Yeah, yeah I know. But actually watching them come together and finally, one, understanding each other's roles, two, understanding the effort each other have to put in, and three, watching them work together is like a gazelle making friends with a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I always like to look at uh, what people's background is in testing because a lot of them are actually ex-developers. Not, not all of them. Some of them are actually, um, uh, you know, wordsmiths. They're really good at writing stuff um, and, uh, you know, XBAs and things like that because the, it's about understanding the technicality against the function. So it is very interesting. All right, I've got two to pick here. Okay. I'm thinking which one winds you up the most? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> um, right. So this one's my bugbear. And actually it'll be your bugbear as well. Implementing Agile is easy. You can read a book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Brain surgery is easy. Just read a book. It's finding a patient that's willing to let you have a go. It's on here. Um, I'm it. That's what I read. <laughs> I, I, and the thing is that, uh, so I see this a lot in uh, in major corporations, is they go, oh, we want to implement Agile. We've read some books. We're going to give it. I'm going, I'm thinking, wow, uh, you've got a ticking time bomb there. Have you told your shareholders yet that you're going to um, potentially destroy your entire company because you don't know what you're doing? Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, reading some books is helpful. Um, gaining a bit of knowledge is helpful practice is is essential and you know, this... i will back you up on that it i find it when i have to go into a company and do a transformation or implement agile in certain departments having the execs at least have some knowledge around it and and have some understanding is actually really helpful it really helpful when you've got to do that because it is a big task sorry i like carol i jumped on I just no, no it's okay it's, it's i mean when i started doing agile um, I read some stuff and I wasn't the agile practitioner. I supported the practitioner as a user experience consultant um, uh, or as a solutions architect. And, but I understood, <clears throat> so I understood what my role was and how I fitted into the team. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell the uh, scrum master what to do, but I understood where I fitted. And I think working from that way and evolving into being a scrum master makes a lot of sense because you understand the team ethic and yeah. team behavior. Um, but it's not easy. You know, you're, you're talking about changing how people have worked for the last 60 years in technology. It's not even that. It's processes. It's not just changing the way people work. It's changing processes. It's changing reporting. It's changing <laughs> thinking. It's changing mindsets. It's changing behaviours. And, and if you've got any executives out there that are listening to this thinking, oh, I'm not going to go ahead with this, it is beneficial. It is absolutely so, beneficial. It is a better way so, of learning. So there's a really interesting book by Cotter 
where he, um, I think it's XLA, he, where he kind of talks about how uh, in large organizations, agile is seen as a virus uh, that uh, they'll let go for a bit and then ultimately crush. Um, but I think that's that's the interesting thing is, is it, and the thing is, maybe it should be crushed. Maybe it should be allowed to start again. You know, maybe it's for that program or project and not for everything. Uh, or maybe it is for everything and the people are afraid until they'll crush it anyway. I think there's there's lots of different ways to look at it, but also, uh, did it work? Did it provide the benefits that it, that it said on the package that it was? And if it didn't, why? Because Agile itself has never failed to, from my experience, but I've seen failures. I've seen failures because um, people pervert it to their own ends. They steal the money from the transformation to get their own bits and pieces done around the business. Uh, they dilute it uh, again for their own ends. Uh, or the people involved in the transformation sell off pieces to help their careers within the organization. Again, it, it's, it's, it's what people do. And I think that, you know, if I was to do uh, an agile transformation, at the first point of doing it, you'd want to appoint an auditor to audit uh, you as you go, who's not part of the company, who's not part of the transformation team, who would come in and be quite uh, vicious about ensuring quality and making sure that whatever is changed is changed for the betterment and not merely to install a new set of uh, stupid policies and behaviours. And you don't need to do it in a big bang as well. Yeah. An agile coach will do it incrementally. They will do it bit by bit. And, and they will be able to do it through across the whole organisation if required, even if it's a, even just a department, but they will do it incrementally. Don't so, ever expect it to be a big bang of we're going to be agile within six months. That's insane. In large organizations, I mean, the, the most important thing is, is to find the low-hanging fruit that adds the most value and mm -hmm. choose one of those first and then see what you can replicate and see what's unique. If something's unique to that department or area or that project, you can't replicate it. So you need to have uh, a strategy. You need to have a high-level thinking around agile transformation work that's not purely vested in doing the work. Normally, I get involved at, uh, with uh, agile transformation at strategy level. Um, I'm also um, someone who can implement it, um, but you have to have that relationship between strategy and implementation. Otherwise, uh, everyone goes off and does their own thing. And there, because there are so many frameworks within agile, you can all be agile and totally destroy an organization. And also give that agile coach an opportunity and that time for them to understand your business, understand your customer base, understand how work comes in, work comes out, get to know what the current ways of working, the current structure is, understand what you originally want to change and why and what the best benefit is. Give them a chance. I, I, I know some agile coaches that have, have basically been told to go in and do it without having that opportunity to go in and, and get that understand. You get far better service by giving them that little bit of time. It doesn't take long to speak to people and, and work all that information out. I think they need access to the right people. That's the first thing. And, you know, you go in and people say, well, you're working for me. And we're going, well, we're going to change how someone else's workflows work. 
you know, I need to speak to them. Oh, we'll just we'll just work it out amongst us and then we'll change them. And go, well, it's not as simple as that. Uh, the other thing is, as you say, understand. The only other thing is to make sure that in that understanding, it's with purpose. Yes. Uh, it's not, it's not a, you know, let's understand the organization. We'll spend two years understanding the organization, by which the time the organization has changed. You know, uh, I think for most organizations, even ones with 100,000, 200,000 employees, uh, most decent agile consultants could understand them in about two to three weeks. Uh, it's not a six-month job to understand your business because actually all you're trying to look is for candidates, candidates uh, for work that can be delivered small to add huge value. Uh, and then you then you start to look for next candidates. And even in, in, in uh, fairly non-regulated environments, there will be pieces of work that won't fit. And instead of trying to find some way to jam them in, you don't. You let them finish off in whatever format they're already working. This is the thing. Is Agile is not, as we said at the beginning, not the magic bullet. It doesn't solve all your problems. What it does is it uh, uh, makes things more transparent and more uh, able to be acted upon by everyone involved. Right. I'm looking at the time and we're running out of time tonight. There's two things I'd like to add. One, I want to give two shout outs for two particular events this weekend. So we've got an event tonight, the future of ethics in Agile community, time for action. We got, I think you're, you're going to that one tonight, aren't you? It's 10 yeah. to 11.30 p.m. It's a bit of a late one, but it's a good one to go to. You're, yeah, you, you're to, yeah, you're going to attend that one, aren't you? I'm going to be in bed because I've been up since 5.30. <laughs> I've no idea what time I got. <laughs> I don't think you slept or a robot. Um, there's uh, another one, the uh, picture artist. Uh, so I, if, if you're on my LinkedIn, you know I've, I've absolutely loved Stuart Young. Um, I've recently been on his um, visual thinking course. I'm learning how to do the visual facilitation. It's something I've done before, but never been satisfied. You've seen my pictures on the show if you're watching it through video as well. Um, He's actually hosted an event with uh, Seth and Scott. Um, that's on Saturday, 5 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. And me and you, we are facilitating an event on Sunday. Yes, we are. That's a really fascinating one. Um, I, I think it's, you know, sort of mental health is a, is a major issue, certainly in the pandemic. Yeah. But uh, it, it's interesting how... Um, the valuation of humans as part of Agile really affects the effectiveness of people and how they feel connected. So mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And I like how it's going to be using Agile to actually give a description of how it can actually help you. So that's yeah. going to be on Sunday and that is 2pm to 3pm GMT time as well. So there's still spaces available. There's spaces available this weekend as well. So yeah, hopefully we may see you because these are some of the events we're going to be on. So if you happen to pop to one of these events and you see us, give us a shout out and say, hey. And um, other than that, I'll be seeing you on and off this weekend as usual anyway. I'll see you tomorrow. Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. I may make a move from here into the living room. I don't know if it seems like a big distance to go. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll catch you later. Thank you, everybody. All right, bye.